0: Welcome to Freedom House Online. We are so glad you are joining us right there from your living room, your kitchen table. We are so glad to be in your homes with you today. Well, my name is Penny Maxwell. My husband, Troy, and I are the senior pastors at Freedom House, and it is my honor to get to come right into your living room today for a series that we have been in. Actually, Sad, but today is the wrap-up, the conclusion of our Pet Peeves series. And Pet Peeves has been all about the things that God is not so fond of. So I thought what we would do in this series is not just talk about the things that God isn't so fond of, but since we've had so much time to Google, I thought what I would do just to kick things off up from the top is let you know the top 10 things on Google that people say are their pet peeves. And what I want you to do at home, or if you're at the office and you're working, you're one of those essential employees. Uh, I want you when I read these top 10, I want you just to go, ah, yeah, that's me. If one of these things is your pet peeve. Number one, number one pet peeve, uh, according to Google, and we know that's our resource right now, is people who walk slow. Raise your hand if you don't like that either. Okay, yeah, people who walk slow. This one I think is funny because actually somebody on our team, this is one of the things they don't like. It's the word moist. They do not like the word moist. That's number two. Number three is when the computer or phone will not load fast enough. How many pet peeve? Yes, I can feel you. I can feel you. I tend to do this one, and my kids like to correct me about it a lot. But for whatever reason, when I'm on the phone, my voice gets louder. That's number four, pet peeve, is when people talk too loud when they are on the phone. Number five is noisy eaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody likes that. Number six, people who talk when their mouth is full. That's pretty annoying as well. Number seven, this one I thought was kind of funny. Number seven pet peeve is people, couples, instead of sitting across from each other at the restaurant, people, it's annoying to them when couples sit beside each other in the same booth. (laughs) Pretty funny. Number eight, having to repeat yourself multiple times. Yes. Number eight Having to repeat yourselves. Just kidding. That was funny. All right, number nine, when the toilet seat is left up and all of the women said amen and amen. Number 10, when someone leaves the water running. You know that slow drip when you're trying to go to bed at night? It's in the shower or it's in the sink. Annoying. So we know we have pet peeves, but God does as well. And he actually goes so far as to say that there's six things that he hates. And then he says, not just six, but there's a seventh that is actually an abomination to me. So I thought what we would do is we would go through those six things and talk about the seventh one as well. And what I'm going to do as I begin to read this scripture in Proverbs, I think it's a great time in our lives right now is to get some wisdom. So we're going to go to the book of Proverbs. But I thought what I would do is I would bookend number one and number seven and talk about those two because I think there's some time right now a lot of us have to reflect. And I think it's easy when we go through God's pet peeves to think about all the other people that do those things. But I think it's a good time now for us to take a look inside of us, inside of our heart, and figure out if we could possibly be doing any of these things. So Proverbs chapter 6 Uh, Verse 16 says this These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Six things I don't like, but number seven, mm -mm, no, it's bad. Number one is a proud look. Number two is a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, feet that are swift in running to evil. Number six, a false witness who spreads lies. And number seven, the one that he absolutely abhors, one who sows discord among the brethren. That's pretty huge. We're going to dive in. But like I said, I want to talk about number one and number seven today and kind of book in those and tell you why I think those are so important and why I wanted to discuss those. So let's talk about number one. We talked about a proud look, a haughty look, some translations say. Some translations just call it what it is, pride. What is pride exactly? Pride is an unwillingness to yield. Pride uh, is the opposite of humility. So if we want to do something that God loves, maybe we can do the opposite of the things that he hates and know that God loves it when we walk with a humble heart. As a matter of fact, James 4, 6 uh, says it like this. Proverbs is the book of wisdom in the Old Testament. James is the book of wisdom in the New Testament. And it says this, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I don't know about you, But if God opposes people who are proud, I'm thinking I probably want to make sure that that is not something that's in my life. So how do I know if pride is something that I'm dealing with? Because honestly, most people that are dealing with that, they can't see it. They either can't or they won't. It's one of the two. So how do I know if that's me, if I'm dealing with pride? Let me ask you this question. Is it really easy to see others' issues but not our own? In other words, is it, really, is it really quick and easy to figure out what's wrong with somebody else? But when we take inventory, it's a lot harder for us to come up with the things that maybe we could course correct on. And let me say this. There is a difference between someone who is prideful and someone who is confident, Okay. There's a big difference between pride and confidence. The difference is is that pride cannot be corrected. Confidence can. A confident person, you can go to them and correct them and they will receive it. But correction will always expose a prideful heart every single time. And I actually, uh, my husband and I have been pastoring for a long time. I think it's now going to be 27 or 28 years that we've been pastoring. I lose track. But one of the things that I learned a long time ago is I used to think that somebody that was walking in pride was somebody that was just so arrogant. They just thought so highly of themselves. But actually, I want to dispel that myth. Pride is actually um, a cover for insecurity, So when you see people that are puffed up, that that pretend on the outside like they're all that, that they're arrogant and cocky, what you are actually seeing is a very insecure person. Now, at Freedom House, at our central campus, we have fish tanks, and we used to have these big puffer fish, and what would happen is if you would hit on the glass hard enough and you would startle that puffer fish, it would blow up really big. Why did it do that? Because it was scared. It wanted to appear bigger than it actually was because it was afraid to look small. That is the same thing that pride does. Pride is afraid to look small, so pride puffs itself up big to try to create a smoke screen so you won't know how insignificant I feel, you won't know how insecure I feel, so I'm going to blow myself up big and make myself appear larger than I am in order to try to give a false impression. That's what pride is. So when I see pride in somebody's heart, I'll go after it. If they're willing to let me help them walk through it, I will help them walk through it. The problem is, is if people don't want to correct pride, if God himself resists the pride, there's not a lot that we can do about it. But if you, if you have pride in your life or in your heart and, and you know there's some things that maybe, maybe you struggle with correction Maybe when your boss says something to you, you want to buck up. Or maybe you grew up in a household where maybe your parents' discipline wasn't looked at as a good thing. It was shaming or putting down. And so maybe you don't even know how to receive correction. There are ways that we can dismantle pride. One of those, and I think it's important to understand, is that none of us, I think one of the things that coronavirus has done that is a blessing is that I think it's all brought us back to our humanity. None of us are that good all the time. doesn't matter how great our corporations are or organizations are or anything else. This one little virus has actually brought a lot of us to our knees and made us realize we're not that good in and of ourselves. One little virus, a microscopic virus, has let us know that we're not as in control as we think. And so the good thing in this scenario right here is that one of the things that dispels pride is correction. Having our heart brought down low. When I've seen pride in somebody's heart, we had years ago in the early days of the church, so don't be thinking it it was something recent. But in the early days of the church, everything in our church was set up and break down. And we had this one drummer who uh, told my husband one day, he kind of mentioned it in front of us. uh, We have the drum kits, right? And so he told my husband one day, he was just chatting with us, and he's like, hey, um, I'm an artist. And as an artist, I shouldn't be breaking up and setting, breaking down and setting up my own drum kit. Somebody should be doing that for me because I'm an artist. Well, one thing that you don't wanna do is uh, let pride be seen by Pastor Troy because he will work it out. And so he said, you know what? Don't worry, you don't need to break down your drum set today. As a matter of fact, we're gonna do without drums today. You're gonna sit on the front row and you're just gonna listen because you have pride in your heart and none of us are that good. You're not so good that you can't set up and break down. All the rest of us are. And if you have a servant heart, Heart, it really erases that pride. If you always have the white towel wrapped around your waist and you're always willing to wash feet, then pride can't exist in that kind of a heart. So my husband sat him and uh, because the guy said, do you know how many awards I've won for drumming? I've won a Dove Award, which is like the equivalent of a Christian Grammy. He's like, I've won a Dove Award. And my husband was like, I don't really care. But here's the thing, six weeks, you're off the platform. And my husband said, either one of two things will happen. He'll either work his pride out and we'll let him back up on the platform or I'll know exactly that I made the right decision and what can happen is he'll leave, he'll get offended, he won't wanna sit. And that's exactly what happened because pride has to be seen. Pride cannot hide, pride always has to be seen. But confession, correction, and a low posture will always work pride out if we allow it to. You know, the Bible and Proverbs talk so much about wisdom, but amidst all of those chapters in Proverbs, it also talks about correction. And I think those of us who are home with our kids, raise your hand if your kids are at home through, what, May 14th, So for those of you that are home, you realize that correction is a good thing, but it's not just something that's good for our kids. It's something that's good for God's kids as well. And when we embrace correction, we say no to a prideful heart because when self-righteousness is abandoned, it will result in a humble and a pure heart. I have to tell you, um, In the early days when when Pastor Troy and I left everything in Richmond and came to Charlotte to start Freedom House, that was a little over 18 years ago when we moved here. And uh, for those of you who know a little bit of the story, I'll take you a little bit deeper. But we we literally walked away from every single thing that we knew. Our friends, our family, uh, jobs that we had. Any and everything that was comfortable, we picked up and moved here to a city we'd never been in. We sold off our stuff, we sold off our house, so we we piled our three kids and our dog and all of our stuff in a um, little small three bedroom town home, and the kids were sharing bedroom and all this kind of stuff. And I just remember feeling really humbled. I remember feeling humbled that we sold off our stuff. Here we are, we're in this city. We don't know anybody. Nobody knows Penny and Troy. Um, any sort of comfort we had was gone and stripped from us. And we were praying one day, and the Lord actually spoke to us and said, by the way, you weren't my first choice to start Freedom House. And I'm thinking, excuse me, I'm sorry. Do you realize what we abandoned and left and came down here with no surety in and of ourselves, with with just walking away from everything, I'm, I think I must have heard incorrectly. And then he says, you weren't my second choice to start the church either. And I'm just, honestly, I'm feeling like, God, we gave everything up. We started from scratch. How, like, it feels like a little bit of a slap in the face right now. I mean, we're already like, here at the bottom being humbled. Could you say something nice? And he was like, you are my third choice. And I'm like, great, God. I'm just feeling like so secure right now. Thank you for that. And he said, you know what? You weren't my first choice, but you were the first one that said yes. Do you know what that showed me? It showed me early on. Hey, Penny Maxwell, guess what? This isn't about you. It will never be about you. You don't keep your heart right. You don't keep yourself humble. There is always somebody else that God will call and put in that place. So I think it's important for us to understand that we aren't that great. That God is great and, you know, in and of ourselves, we're not that good. So it really was a reminder for me, especially as things continue to grow and expand with the campuses and all that. It's always in my mind you're God's third choice. You're God's third choice. You always remember that. It's hard to have a prideful heart when you know you're God's third choice. Proverbs 16, 18 says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. So I want to make sure that I keep my heart pure, and I know you do as well. Great time right now, for reflection, let's go on to number two because I want to uh, get to a scripture in a few minutes of how pride and this this second one that we're going to talk about actually intertwine with each other. Remember, the first one I'm talking about is pride, and then we're going down to the last one, which is the second one I'm going to talk about, which is discord, sowing discord among the brethren. What does that mean in a nutshell? Well, some translations would say God gossip, or strife. It's all inclusive. Strife includes discord, gossip, and anything else um, that you want to think about. But it's a lack of unity. It's a lack of unity. Now, why in the world would God put so much emphasis on this one? Why would he say, even above murder, even above lying, even above being proud, why would God put so much weight on this one? It just really... It baffled me for the longest of times. And I want to read to you something that Paul wrote in a letter to the uh, church at Corinth. I want you to hear this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. He's speaking to the church. He said, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, not some of you or a few of you or a couple of you, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. doesn't say just a few or sometimes. It says no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united mind and thought Why is that? Well, if we take a look through and we think about things that have happened in the Bible, unity is a very powerful thing. And really, the word divorce is dividing power. And what God is saying is, listen, no matter what it is, whether it's with marriage or family or church, he's putting an emphasis right here on on the church But God doesn't like strife. He doesn't like gossip. He doesn't like discord among the brethren. Why is that such a big deal? You know, right now in our society, we are dealing with the coronavirus epidemic. But what God is saying is, listen, this is even worse than the coronavirus. When this sets in and this spreads, it will take down churches. Good churches can be taken down by one person with a bad mouth just one. What happens is when disunity is erupted, it's like cancer that comes in and takes over and spreads and eats up. And what what happens sometimes, whether it's in business, whether it's at the PTA, I can tell you there's some PTA moms, man. There's some brutal stuff. I remember when my girls in, were in preschool, the whole preschool was in upheaval over gossip and strife. And I just... I just can't imagine how bad that hurts God's heart after reading this, that as Christians, as believers, that we allow that to go on. Why, why does it happen in the first place? Well, jealousy, competition, insecurity, Again, it could be from pride, it could be from lying, it could be from people that aren't healed from their past, and, and so they're repeating things, cycles that, that are familiar to them, even though they're not godly, it's, it's how they know to do it. And so what I've learned in the church world from, from dealing with thousands of people on a regular basis for many, many years is that there is absolutely nothing that two healthy people cannot work out. Nothing. There is absolutely nothing. I want you to hear me today. There is nothing that two healthy people cannot work through. There is also nothing that you can work through if both people don't choose to be healthy. So what do you do in that situation when there is someone else, another party? You, you want to walk the way that God says to walk. You want to be healthy, and they don't want to. Well, what I can tell you that I do in my life is I don't live with strife in my life. That rhymed. I didn't mean to rhyme, but I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to allow a disruption of peace in my life. If people want to live healthy and, and work stuff out, I am right there. I will do everything I can. But if people don't choose that route, there is nothing I can do or you can do. But here's the thing is that strife, what I have learned, is always, always, always perpetuated by a whisperer. There's always somebody behind the scenes. You may not know who it is. You may not see them. But whenever I see a little swell of strife, whether it's in the church, whether it was at the PTA or any corporate situations that I've been in, whenever I see a little swell or a little pocket of strife, I'm always looking for the tailbearer. There's always somebody in that little pocket that's whispering lies, and it's usually one or two people, and if you can sniff them out and get rid of them, then you see that strife dispels, it disperses. Let me prove that to you scripturally. Proverbs twenty six twenty. it says, "'Where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no talebearer, strife ceases.'" If there is strife in your life, find out where the lies are coming from. Maybe right now you are dealing with strife internally because of this situation that we as a public are dealing with. So where's the, where's the tail bearer? Sometimes it's inside of us. Sometimes we are believing a lie, and because we're believing a lie, we're perpetuating that. I would just encourage you today to believe what God says. Believe what the Word of God says over what a news report, over what anybody else has to say. Let's make sure that we're not being a tailbearer in any situation or that we're not whispering lies. I've seen people whisper lies to themselves all the time. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. Those are all lies. When Ever you see strife in any situation find the tailbearer get rid of the tailbearer and order will be restored all right let's keep going and let me just let me just throw this in there real too real quick too i want you to understand something that the bible is very specific about our words and we need to make sure that we're very careful with our words especially in a season like we're in right now There is life and death in the power of our words. Your words are not neutral. So in our situations, things that we're walking through, even when it comes to other people, maybe you see somebody's marriage is struggling, always speak life and inject life into a situation because the Bible says that we're gonna have to stand and give account one day for every idle word that came from our mouth. And I don't know about you, but I wanna make sure that I am speaking life and not death because our words are not neutral. I wanna prove something to you uh, just biblically here about the power of unity. There are two specific examples that I wanna to refer to. One is in Acts chapter two. The other is in Genesis chapter 11. But in Acts chapter two, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit fell. And it says the Holy Spirit fell and the church went from adding new believers on to multiplying. So there was this exponential increase. Why did that happen? It says because they were all in one place and they were all in one accord. You see, when we are in one accord, there is nothing that God can't do in us If we're in one accord. So if I was the enemy, if I was the devil, you know what I would do? I would do number seven. I would get in and cause discord among the brethren because then I can steal the power. And that's exactly what strife does. Every single time, it steals the power. Now, I also want to take you to Genesis chapter 11, because unity is such a powerful thing. And the, the principle of unity is still in play, even when we're unified for the wrong purpose. So in Genesis chapter 11, it says that the people were trying to build a tower to get to God. They were getting prideful. Right? It's interesting to me how how this ties into pride so much and why I wanted to lump them together. They were they were getting prideful and they started to think they could build this tower to God. You know, they started to think a little highly of themselves. And they started to build this tower, and God said, Man, I gotta go down and I've got to confuse their language. I've got to disrupt this because they're in unity. Even though it was for the wrong thing, God said, I've got to disrupt this because they are in one accord. And when you're in one accord, there are things that are so powerful that you can do that you've got to be careful. That's why it's important that we rally behind the right thing, that we get behind things that are good and noble and lovely and of a good report. Because unity is powerful, unfortunately, even if it's not used for good. So how can we use it for good? How can we be unified with other people? Romans 12, 18 says this, if it is possible, right? I like how it starts with that. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now I want to take you to a passage in the Bible where Moses had literally, he was going into Egypt, and he was releasing all of the slaves, the Israelites who were, had been bound, and for 400 years they had been slaves, and he is releasing all of them, and he's he's challenging Pharaoh to let the people go and to come, and And what was supposed to happen is when they were let go, they were supposed to go over into the promised land, but God said, you know, no, you're not ready to go into the promised y- land yet, because, you have come out of Egypt, but Egypt, a slave mentality, has not come out of you. And so you're gonna have to wander around here in this desert, however long it takes, and it end up taking them 40 years to get rid of this mentality. They had some mindsets that were wrong that God said, you've gotta get rid of those mindsets if you are going to go into your promised land because I don't want you establishing in the new thing that I am trying to do for you, taking old mindsets wrong. With you. So here, Moses, he goes from a shepherd one day on the backside of the desert to now he's pastoring a couple million people. That's a pretty hard job, right? That's a pretty significant. Call, and there were some people that were grumbling against him and his leadership. And here's the thing that maybe is apropos for us to even think about right now there are challenges that leaders face that we have no idea. None. I don't know what it must have been like for Moses, who one day is a shepherd, and the next day God says, Here you go, here's millions of people that you are going to lead. That's quite a shift. Right now, our government, our uh, officials, there's a lot of shifts going on. There's a lot of new normals. So I would encourage you uh, to pray for them, and I'm going to show you scripturally and biblically why that is so important and what God has to say about it. But here's the tendency. The tendency is is we get into strife and we get into gossip because mm, I, I, I wouldn't do it that way. If I were the one in charge, if I were the leader, I wouldn't do it that way. But how interesting is it, how easy it is to judge and throw things out when we're sitting in the nosebleed section and we're not out on the court playing. So what's great is if we can say, hey, you know what? I don't know what it's like in that position. But you know what I do know? I do know that I can pray. That I can do. But Moses had two people that were very close to him. And not only uh, were they close to him as far as proximity, but they were two prophets who were right underneath of him. He was their leader, and their job as the prophets were to pray for him, to encourage him, to help keep his arms lifted, to make sure that as the leader that he was covered. So when he goes up to throw the ball and he sends the ball out, they're the front line that's supposed to be blocking But what they do is they start to grumble and they start to complain. And you see right here where pride and strife start to co-mingle. They start to come together. And I want you to see what happens when pride and strife come together. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Miriam and Aaron, who were the two prophets, began to talk against Moses. Why? Because they didn't like Moses' wife. It says, because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, what I find is so interesting is that word Cushite actually means, it translates in Hebrew, black. They did not like Moses. Moses had married someone they did not approve of. Moses had married an Ethiopian woman. And for whatever reason, we don't know why, but we know he married a black woman and Aaron and Miriam were not happy about it. And it says, what did they do? I want you to see how pride and strife start to cohabitate. So then it says, They said to each other, has the Lord only spoken through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? I mean, we are prophets, right? I mean, we are leaders here. I mean, we are leaders in this church. I mean, why is anybody asking our opinion? We're leaders in this company, in this business. Why didn't anybody ask us? We're PTA leaders. Why didn't the person at the top ask us? pride. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he spoken through us? Here's the key point. And the Lord heard this. Do you hear that undercurrent of pride there? But the Lord heard it. And then we keep reading. It says, now Moses was very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Does it say he was the most talented? No. Does it say he was the most gifted? No. Was he the most anointed speaker? No, we actually know that he wasn't. He had a stuttering problem, a speech impediment. It says Moses was the most humble, the most humble. And it says, at once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down. hmm Uh Uh-oh. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. Listen, God is coming down, standing literally standing in the doorway, and he says, I want you to listen to me. Y'all, this is about to get good up in here. This is like, I'm listening. God, you're standing in front of me. You're telling me to listen to your words. Come on, bring it, God. And it says, he says to them, when there is a prophet among you, he's adding them, because he knows they're both prophets. He said, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to the prophets in dreams, but this isn't true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. Does it say gifted? No. Does it say he's talented in all of my house? No. Does it say he's the most elite in all of my house? No. It said he is faithful in all of my house. With him, Hey, I don't just give him visions and dreams. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? It says, The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent... Miriam's skin was leprous and it became as white as snow and Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had defiling skin disease and he said to Moses, she's gonna need to be in self-quarantine. She's gonna need to stay at home. She's not gonna be able to come out. She's gonna have to be self-contained. She's gonna have to, for seven days, go outside and isolate herself outside of the city. And we know that she got that leprosy because of the words, because of the pride and the strife that she sowed against her leaders. So Moses came out being the great leader that he was and he said, please God heal her. And we know that he did. But what I want us to understand is listen, in the church, in life, in your marriage with your kids, there are disagreements that happen. Things happen, but two healthy people, can always work through things. What I want you to know today and I want you to hear is, listen, no matter what it is, what if right now we use this time, we use this time as an opportunity to do a heart check, to say, hey, God, search my heart. Let me know if there's anything in me because gosh, you know, sometimes it's really hard to spot these things. God, help me catch my words, if I'm saying something that isn't lifting somebody else up or encouraging somebody, God, help me shut that down. God, I don't, I don't wanna be like a cancer that's spreading. God, I only wanna bring good things to your church, to your body, and God, help me with my heart. If there's pride in me, Lord, search my heart, let me know. God, I wanna spend some time taking a look. Interesting enough, as I'm closing out today, I want you to know that as Moses in the beginning was trying to go and have Pharaoh let go of the Israelites, the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart got hardened. His heart was hard. And I often wondered why that was. It says each time that God would come and correct Moses, that his heart got hard. I know now. It's like this. You know, when the sun comes on the scene, the S-U-N sun, when the sun comes on the scene, it's the same thing that happens when the S-O-N comes on the scene. You see the same sun that melts butter will harden clay. In other words, it's the substance of our heart that determines what happens. I believe that God is speaking to us right now. And I would just ask you right there, wherever you are, your living room, your dining room, your kitchen table, um, I would just encourage you right now, if you could just close your eyes and just bow your head and just say, hey God, just search me right now. Just ask him if there's any hidden corner of your heart that maybe needs to be investigated, needs to be taken a look at. How how do I know God? How do I know if something's going on in my heart? What happens? What happens when God comes on the scene? Do I do I buck up? Do I get hard? Do I get bitter? Do I get angry, or do I melt like butter in His hands and go, God, it's all about You. God, I'm gonna let my guard down. God, I'm gonna let go of insecurity. God, I ask you just to examine the condition of my heart right now. Right right here where I'm at, God, examine the condition of my heart. And I just believe right there from your home, or if you're at work right now, I know some people are watching from work, I would just encourage you. There is a place right there in the chat bar where you can say, hey, I'm choosing to let God be the king of my heart. I'm gonna let go of pride. I'm gonna make sure that my words that I speak are edifying, that my words are good words. And then I would also just like to offer you this opportunity. You know, the biggest thing we can do to help with the condition of our heart is make sure that our heart belongs to Jesus. You may be watching today, and maybe this is the first time you've heard about the love of God, or how good God is, or how much He loves us and cares for us, or. And I just wanna encourage you, whatever, whatever you've gone through, whatever you've walked through, he wants to be right there. Whatever you're going through right now. I know a lot of us, man, we're going through stuff. We're going, God, are you there? You know, it's times like these that we can ask ourselves, is my heart getting hard? Or is my heart pliable in his hands? Am I saying, God, I surrender, I realize, I can't do this on my own. I can't run this company on my own. I can't keep my employees floating on my own. Lord, I can't get rid of fear on my own. Right now is a really good time for that examination. And just to say, God, I give it all to you. If you did that today, if if that's you, I would just love you to say something in the chat bar. I know some of our online platforms, you can click a hand right there, but allow me just to pray over you as we close today. Father, I just thank you for every single person that is watching today. God, I thank you that no matter what we're walking through, no matter what we have walked through, God, you are bigger. God, I thank you for this time where we can all self-reflect And God, you can search our hearts and, and Lord, help us to get stronger and better. So when we're on the other side of this, this virus, Lord, that actually right now we're not wasting the waiting room of life because right now is the time where we can see really our substance, really what we're made of. God, how is our response to you right now in the midst of crisis? God, we just turn our lives over to you. We turn any fear, any anxiety. And God, we just thank you for who you are and for sitting on the throne of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.